Hello, Future Tribe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tribe show. I am Jermaine. I'm Kelsey. And today we've got, I think we counted about 13 or 14 different news mm-hmm. items, including Qatar's uh, tourism or marketing rebrand, uh, the FIFA Women's World Cup logo that's going to be in Australia and New Zealand. So it'll be um, interesting to take a look at what they've decided the logo should look like. Um, Instagram introducing an add yours sticker. Um, we also want to talk a bit more about Facebook's meta rebrand. I think it was quite new last week when it came, when we sort of talked about it, but there's uh, a bit more that I, that I want to add to it um, that we've learned over the last week. Um, Facebook's also stopped facial recognition, which I think is an interesting move. Um, Microsoft is the world's most valuable company now, um, beating out Apple, and Microsoft's acquired ClipChamp. What else are we talking about, Kelsey? Yeah, we've got uh, a couple of things from Google today, um, talking about sort of page experience and analytics, um, Google My Business Profiles, Google Ads, and some scamming news, um, Google launching some page speed insights, and also uh, recommending. Google is recommending placing videos on their own page. Um, and we'll be finishing off by talking about Yahoo saying goodbye to China. Yeah, they're leaving China completely. Um, this one's going to be a meaty episode. Let's get the intro rolling and get into it. Sounds good. All right, so the big one to start off with is the Qatar rebrand. For anyone watching, let me share what that is looking like at the moment. Um, What are your thoughts, Kelsey? So I quite like it. Um, I've sort of, I have had a look through that extra information. I think it's it's just nice and simple, slightly modernized, but they've still kept a touch of, um, I guess, the history of Qatar. Um, they've sort of, you know, they've kept the Arabic um, part of the logo and actually emphasized a little bit more, which I think is really great. Um, yeah, I just, I quite like it. I think it's really nice. Yeah, these sorts of um, tourism or like national brands, are always interesting to me because um, you you sort of want to represent your country, but at the same time, you need to look at what your you want to say to the potential sort of demographic. Um, now, did they? So this is by the Qatar Tourism Council, but did they sort of talk about anything particular around um, boosting tourism? Um, yeah, okay. So as of 2017, they were sort of prioritizing tourism as a as a sector of pursuit. Because um, I only know Qatar or like my biggest familiarity with Qatar is around their their clout in the in the business world and um, their ownership of or their the money they pump into football as a or soccer as a soccer fan. Um, and looking at it from a 
potential tourist destination point of view, or if, if I'm the target demographic, it doesn't really tell me much. Um, would you agree with that? Um, I mean, yeah, but how much do you want a country name logo to tell you, you know? Uh, I don't think you want it to be jam-packed with lots of imagery because it's it's the name, it's the brand of the country name. And then the other supporting materials that come with it is the thing that will convince you. I think this is just obviously the starting point. Yeah, have they? So, okay, yeah. So the focus has been refining the branding um, really at this stage, which is fair enough. I think the final... The, oh, the, the co-branding sort of looks pretty nice. Um, obviously bilingual there, which is nice. The patterns mm -hmm. are quite nice as well. It's tough because representing a whole nation, like you think branding a company is difficult. Imagine branding a whole country. Yeah, it would be impossible. Um, I do want to note these ones that are on the screen at the moment uh, for people that are watching the video, I think are absolutely beautiful. The um, sort of magazine full page things. I think a lot of the times um, when it comes to country branding, a lot of countries can kind of, or like tourism branding, I should say, they can try to overcomplicate this sort of magazine things and try to jam pack it with all sorts of different imagery. Um, but what they've done in those magazine pieces above just here is they've kept it really nice and simple. I love that they've got some sort of modern architecture um, that's, it's still got that traditional feel and you can sort of still tell it's you know that kind of country um but i just love the simplicity in it and the colors and the sort of yeah composition of them it's i just think it's beautiful yeah um while i didn't necessarily buy the logo um i am i want to visit qatar now <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, i think the, the best thing about the logo is that it's really simple so it does work in all of that um supporting stuff as you mentioned like as you said the logo doesn't give you much but when it's in this context it doesn't pull away from the imagery and I think that's really important and I also love as I sort of mentioned they've still got the Arabic and they've highlighted the Arabic and also kept the English and I think sometimes that can look complicated because there's two different things going on but they've done it really nicely and it ties in really nicely they have and the imagery they've used the juxtaposition is I mean it's stunning like They've, they've really shown restraint here. Um, getting these photos would have been um, not, a, not a small task, not an easy task. Um, I'd be very surprised if uh, these didn't require a lot of editing in post to sort of get this, like if it, whether this, whether what they're showing, um, especially in, in what we're looking at at the moment with sort of a boat and, and an amazing modern skyline in the back and then um, a, a some sort of wild animal in, in the desert um it's it's the kind of thing that i would think is hard to just photograph that you need to sort of manipulate in post but what it accomplishes is i think a really fantastic message um around showing restraint we've talked about it all the, a fair few times around simplifying things and sort of condensing things as much as possible and they've then supported with the with the taglines um that again are smart is probably the best way i can put it it's succinct it's it's intelligent um and it's just letting the imagery do the do the talking um 
you know, particularly things like 1400 years of art in one day is sort of tells you a lot more than you would think um, six or seven words can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've, yeah, I, I guess I'm taking back everything I said at the start. <laughs> <laughs> Though I guess, yeah, it doesn't mean that the logo says more. Um, it just, I think, means that um, I'm just conceding. I think that it overall they've done a very good job and it's a reminder to look past just the logo and look in. Yeah, the whole. I was going to say, it's an important lesson, I think, in when you're talking about logos, understanding that a logo is just one part of the brand and it is really important that your logo doesn't need to communicate absolute everything. It just needs to represent one thing and work well within the rest of the branding and the supporting collateral that comes with it because once you've got that entire picture together, it works and it's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and it's sort of about the execution overall rather than the logo um, by itself um, because in a lot of instances it's how you pull that whole representation off that matters. Um, all right, on from Qatar to the FIFA Women's World Cup logo. Um, these are the only two sort of logo slash refreshers slash brands we have to talk about this week. Um, being a bit light on that sort of news lately um yeah i think we had a week a couple a couple of weeks ago that had like six or seven massive rebrands and since then it's just been absolutely quiet yeah um, but that's um it's just maybe that time of year everyone sort of got it out of the way prior to the christmas period potentially mm-hmm. um so this this one here is um sort of com- showing the France 2019 um, logo next to the AUNZ or Australia, New Zealand 2023 logo. I I think historically I've found the World Cup logos, much like the Olympics, um, much like any sort of sports event, quite an interesting study in how you represent something like that visually as as a logo because really it doesn't change that much i mean you change the country but you don't change much else mm-hmm. so to me it's it's a bit complicated this new one yeah <laughs> when i saw it like i'm i'm not familiar with football soccer whatever you call it um, that's not really my sport. I'm definitely into other sports more so. So I'm I'm coming from a very outside perspective, but I think every time I see FIFA World Cups or women uh, women's football World Cups, they seem to be quite complicated to me. Um, and this one in particular, I I mean, coming from Australia and also being familiar enough with New Zealand, I I don't know what the connection is with the colours. I don't really know what that's trying to communicate. Um, I can see that it's a oh, here we soccer, go. football in there. What are the colours saying? Okay, so um, let's look into it. So there's squares representing 32 countries um, that will compete for the World Cup. Then there's colours. They call, they're calling them shared colours. Australia and New Zealand are home to some of the world's most distinct and inspiring natural landscapes and world-class cities. The color palette is vibrant and unique, going beyond the host flags and drawing from the rainforest, earth, mount. Gosh, so they're just saying that they're just colors that that are 
everything to everyone. Um, yeah. There's then a football at the core. That mm-hmm. and it's all a circle because it's representing coming together. Then there's bold typography underneath all the. All, I've already described four different elements, and then there's bold typography underneath that. And then there's a simplified version of the World Cup trophy, that the women's World Cup trophy. And mm-hmm. then further, further on underneath that, there's the AUNZ 2023 wording um, with underneath that. Uh, half of that sort of area is the New Zealand artistic pattern, whatever that means, and the Australian artistic pattern, whatever that means as well. I think, oh, man, you you would think that this was um, designed by a uni student, um, especially <laughs> the way that they've brought in how many different elements. And, and yeah. not uni students, but come on. It feels like there was an assignment brief that, you know, tick off all these symbolistic elements. And I think that this is a case of what seems to happen a lot when it comes to these kind of like sporting competitions and things. They just get so complicated because they're trying to do so much, like representing all the countries, representing two different countries' patterns going into the earth and rainforests and seas and all of that sort of stuff and just doing so much. And I I just... I don't know if it needs to be that complicated. Like, I don't hate it. It's not sort of super offensive to look at, but I just don't know why it has to be so complicated. There's also a lot, like, they've built out a lot of visual imagery. I think, I thought I saw further up that it was designed by, um, the identity for the ninth edition has been designed by L.A., based works collective and then they collaborated with a toronto based what agency which why is it if we're coming to australia new zealand why are we not employing i don't know aboriginal artists or something i mean i'm sure they would have had to for part of it but why why are we using american based companies for this north american yeah i just don't so yeah this that they apparently worked with this australian Indigenous, potentially, I think, Indigenous artist. Um, mm-hmm. And this Kiwi artist, again, I think, maybe Maori. I don't know. I mean, there's no way There's no way to say, and I'm not going to make any assumptions. Um, yeah, she's just referenced as, well, they're both referenced as local artists. Um, Why are we not employing local companies, agency. agencies to do this? Um, and, I, and I do feel like, they really missed the mark here because the this shape, the for those who, who are not watching, it's essentially like a round circular shape that vaguely represents a soccer ball or football that also has a bunch of colours that's supposed to represent apparently everything and then 32 little squares around that's supposed to represent um, the nations get, being involved. Like to me, that is that that alone is too much for a logo. Yeah. Let alone then jumping with the wording underneath and then finally representing Australia and New Zealand in a way that I think is quite weak. Um, yeah. They've kind of just thrown that pattern behind the AUNZ and the 2023 to say, yep, here's the country's stuff. And I know that they say that the colours are in the circular part, the colours of, I don't know, I guess rainforests and pink salt lakes maybe natural occurrences (laughs) that almost every continent can say that they have yeah it's not unique like 
the rainforests are not unique to Australia. No. We've got some beautiful They're, ones, absolutely, but there's many countries that do. 100%, you know. You may have heard of the Amazon before. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, sort of, mm. it's sort of a very popular rainforest. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know. I feel like, like generally it's very hard to comment on branding for things like World Cups and sporting events because what do you represent? It's the same thing every X amount of years um, and you need to then look at what is unique about that. And to me, that is where it's being hosted. Um, it can't be who's being involved because that that is often not finalized until there's playoffs and so on and so forth. Um, overall, they've, they've, yeah, if you look at sort of the supporting design, I guess you would call it, they've really missed the mark. Like they're calling out... Uh, rainforests, water, world-class cities, mountains. Like, what? It's is that very is that what? Very generic. Is that we mm -hmm. could have applied all of this to any other country or city in the world? And then the only unique part is the beautiful, beautiful sort of local art from Australia and New Zealand that is genuinely beautiful. Um, potentially, the challenge or the risk that they didn't want to. Um, well, because they're from overseas, they don't understand what the what the local market's going to sort of um, accept. Maybe they didn't want to go too much the other way, potentially. Mm -hmm. But a very easy way to avoid that is just to get local artists from each of the nations to collaborate. Australia, New Zealand, we collaborate all the time. Australia steals New Kiwi uh, actors and actresses and technologies and claims them claims them for our own. I'm sure we yeah. could have found a way to work together. <laughs> um, just mm. don't understand. But a message I think here to just work with organisations um, who have relevant market knowledge. I mean, we, we, when we get asked to work with, um, you know, individuals from overseas for overseas markets, it's something that I hesitate to do. Um, because we just don't have, I mean, we can apply general knowledge. Like we've got, I, I would say, you know, we'd be better than sort of someone with less experience, but still not as good as someone who's got local experience. Yeah. There's so many case studies that I've read of massive companies trying to branch out into a new country and just not understanding the marketing and this, like the everything. Um, like I think it even happened, it's, I mean, slightly different, but um, the Five Guys burger chain that opened up in Australia and Australians just went, this is rubbish, like, because we love our burgers. And I think Five Guys just didn't understand that and they didn't adapt their offering to understand the Australian market. And that's coming from quite a large chain. Like it can happen so easily just because Starbucks you don't work is, with the local. Exactly, yep. They just didn't do the correct research. And it even happened, I think, when Bunnings opened up in the UK. There just wasn't a demand for it. They didn't do their research. It flopped pretty hard. And it was just a case of work with the local markets, work with local agencies, whoever it is, to actually understand what's going on. Don't just assume the model that's working in one country will work in another. It's just not going to happen. I think it's a great example, too, of, you know, we... Australia is part of the West as a generic sort of collective term. But, and a lot of people think the West is the same. Like, you know, you can go to the US, you can go to the UK and you can go to Australia and parts of Europe and 
get the the people are sort of similar and have a similar reaction but this is a reminder that that's that's not the case even in australia between sydney and canberra um we're, we're three hours apart but i would say you know in some some cases we're completely different individuals and how we like things is completely different um i'm not yeah i'm not happy with it um i don't think as a football fan it does it just does too much and gets mm-hmm. nowhere think that's an interesting juxtaposition with the Qatar logo where Qatar just didn't bother trying to represent everything and instead used the sort of other elements and used the used the opportunity to expand upon it um, and did it really really well um, moving on to Instagram introducing an add yours sticker mm-hmm. what's what's going on there Yeah, so it seems like Instagram is just rolling out a whole host of different things we spoke about. Um, I think it was the collab feature that they introduced last week. So this Add Yours sticker, I'm not 100% sure on how it works, but it seems like you can put up a story and put up a sticker and it's, let's say, outfit of the day or whatever sort of concept you want to, idea you want to come up with. And your friends and followers can use that same thread, essentially, to upload their own image. And it all gets joined in this one sort of sticker and will show up all the other profiles that are posted under that sticker. So it seems like Instagram's really trying to focus on collaboration and like really making it interconnected between followers, partners, whoever it is. Um, I just thought it was an interesting feature. It's not really something I'd seen before. I'm not sure how I, in my personal life, would use something like that because I can't really see myself jumping on it. Um, Actually, well, I mean, in saying that, I went to a wedding on the weekend and I was just thinking we were asked obviously not to take photos because there was professional photographers. But in a circumstance like that, you could have sort of like a birthday tag or a wedding tag or something and everyone at that event could post photos and stories. Maybe that yeah, would be a use case for it. Could be used across, you know, like this is my dog, like photos <laughs> of your dog, you know, yeah, um, or this is my insert any anything almost here um the the fact that they're creating like a public thread makes me think of twitter and how twitter sort of lets you comment publicly i am not a huge twitter user i've found that thread system to be a little bit confusing because you're sort of starting with one thing and then the further you go down the more removed i feel like <laughs> you get from the original insane yeah, yeah i see it happen on reddit even and you just end up with all these different yeah. conversations and it's like what's happened where are we yeah mm. which i wonder i mean i assume that this is part of stories so there'd be a 24-hour window there um i'm not a I know, I know you like using stories, Kelsey, um, and I mm-hmm. get, and I get the value around it. But I feel like around things where you're asking people to essentially submit their own thing, there might be something to be said for keeping those or like responses around for longer than twenty four hours um, to build out. Could you imagine a Facebook group where every post only lasts twenty four hours, and then you lose that value essentially that you that you're trying mm-hmm. to create, but then again, maybe maybe Instagram isn't trying to create value. It's just trying to increase collaboration between users and sort of that social slash community effect. Maybe that's their focus. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to stories, they really are intended to just be that 24-hour. It's like short, sharp, don't think about it kind of thing. It's temporary and that's the point. So I think 
trying to build out that sort of archive or whatever doesn't really apply in this circumstance. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think when it comes to posting stories and things, you usually save the photo anyway, so it's not like it's going to disappear forever. It's just not going to be live forever. Well, the collaboration with everyone, though, like this is my, you know, Saturday morning um, mm. at yours, but then you lose the real benefit benefit to it. Um, but and and it yeah it just makes me wonder like that the the difference between Facebook and Instagram is increasingly like becoming weirder art, artificially weird I think like they're adding the collab features and things like that and it's sort of like they're trying to keep them separate intentionally versus mm -hmm. because because you could see them converging right like really I'm not Hope sure they why don't. they wouldn't well. <laughs> If they were Google, I reckon they would have done something like that already. Mm. But um, Yeah, I think I, I like the approach that Instagram's taking because it feels like it's more of a conversational kind of app versus permanent, permanent stuff. It's not like building out. I mean, obviously, you've got your feed. But I think when it does come to these stories and temporary collabs and all of that, it's like you've got to see it live. It's like you're part of the conversation there in person rather than just looking at it later kind of thing. And I think I do enjoy life, that. Yeah. Like just like join join the conversation for the moment or for the 24 hours. Um, yeah. I just looked it up as well. I think the other thing is that Facebook has twice as many users as Instagram. Um, mm. Active though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because I know there's just obviously a hell of a lot of inactive Facebook accounts. Yeah. Yeah, but YouTube's got 2.3 billion Um Facebook's number one, I believe, um, with Makes sense. three billion. Um, then it's WhatsApp as third, Instagram as fourth, Facebook Messenger as fifth. So That's Facebook weird. is or, or Meta is absolutely dominating the space, um, but it makes me. Whoa! Instagram has just four hundred and fifty employees apparently, um, which is yeah. like next to nothing. I mean, that makes sense, I guess, because it's their offering is quite focused. Like they've got a few core things that they do. Facebook obviously has like you go into your extras tab and there's just a million things going on. It's because of everything. Yeah, Facebook, I mean, Instagram, stories, feed, direct messages, That's sponsorships. It. Yeah, it's, it's all yeah. very like focused on a couple of products. So I think the support team doesn't need to be as significant as it would for Facebook or other apps. Yeah, yeah. Um, the The whole stickers thing is an interesting concept, I think. Um, and yeah, sort of Instagram's almost becoming like a s Snapchat, but in I don't know, sort of that sort of that temporary media sort of space um mm -hmm. because apart from yeah apart from instagram and snapchat i don't think anyone else really does that facebook stories no. don't, don't don't count apparently whatsapp is potentially introducing a disappearing kind of message thing i haven't looked into it but right. i did see that pop up the other day like a self-destruct probably it's like yeah Senate, which snapchat does i believe yeah um, Everyone's kind of just stealing what Snapchat's done, but doing it better. And Snapchat's sort of just <laughs> stuck. 
Snapchat is doing its thing. Well, you know, I think we talked about in a in a previous episode about Snap, um, the company behind Snapchat, um, focusing more on their technologies as I think a, yeah. a a white label provider rather than a social platform in itself. Yeah, smart move. Um, talking about Snap and Snapchat, um, I just wanted to touch on Facebook and Meta. Um, once when they announced that the meta refresh or the rebrand um, of the company, like Alphabet was to Google, um, it was quite fresh when we hopped on this episode. And over the last week, I've done a lot more research, listened to Mark Zuckerberg talking a lot more about their vision. Um, and, And I just wanted to sort of talk about, I think a lot of people feel like they've, rebranded to meta to get away from all the bad press that facebook receives i personally disagree with that i think it's not a it's not a matter of let's you know distract people um i don't yeah. think that works no i feel like they would recognize that changing a brand name isn't gonna change yeah the all of those perception. yeah i don't think that that's stupid <laughs> Yeah, no, they're they're much smarter than that. I think ultimately what it represents, and this has a, this is, has a message for um, any business owners, anyone who has a brand out there. It's to me representing a a new clear cut direction and intention around this is what we're going to do moving forward. This is what we're changing to. And that can be done. They didn't have to do it with, uh, a name change that's a more bold step they could have done it with a branding a logo shift or refresh um, a brand messaging refresh um, so it didn't have to be done with a name but I think given the gravity of how much they're changing and the fact that the company was called Facebook and the app was called Facebook and they were two different things it was just made more sense to just let's just change the company name for the moment um, but ultimately the goal I would say and the message here is that you too should think about using a logo shift or change to represent something more than just a distraction. Um, Using it to draw a clear line and say on this date we're shifting our attention or we're focusing our attention in this direction. Um, I personally bought a website that I think I mentioned to you as well Kelsey and one of the first things that I did when I bought that website um, was change the the look and feel um, and I'm going to rebrand it um, in my in my own time over the next few weeks again to represent you know this website that I purchased um, was sort of quiet for the last six to eight months by purchasing it I want to represent that hey this is a new chapter Um, I purchased it from someone who didn't have who wasn't as ingrained in the topic of the, of this website as much as I am. Um, and it just represents a, this is it. This is the line, you know, there's, it's sort of like, um, you know, before and after and everything after is different. Um, one interesting thing though, that I've picked up with Facebook's meta rebrand is that Mark Zuckerberg is talking a lot about the augmented reality, virtual reality side of things, which we, touched on quite extensively um but he's also trying to take on the uh subscription commissions that companies like apple are taking it's been a topic for the last few years because apple's had a lot of um a lot of competition 
people sort of taking them to court about it. And Mark Zuckerberg's like, you know, it's just too much of a cut and, and really sort of trying to hop on that bandwagon. But to me, it's a very old school tactic of say, of essentially undercutting the competition. So, you know, going, all these companies are fantastic, but let's go, you know, we don't need 30%. We'll take a smaller cut, um, simpler, similar to what Hyundai and Kia did in the Australian market where they went, we, we, you can have more warranty for less cost and we'll just stick it to you, to the incumbents until we get to a point where we've got enough market penetration that we are just going to be priced like everyone else, which is where Hyundai and Kia are now. Um, so to me, it's interesting to see a big company like Meta take this approach. But then again, they've clearly expressed that they're happy to, to essentially break even and because their ad advertising business makes so much money and that's just they don't have to focus on that right they can just keep that going people are going to buy ads and they just break even on what this new direction so that when the time comes they're the they're the microsoft or they're the apple of um or, or in fact they're the facebook or meta is the facebook of this new chapter mm -hmm. um, because i think you'd agree that facebook really owns social media and they might not have been the first, but they definitely are the biggest and quote unquote the best. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely the first of the current generation because I think before that it was MySpace, which obviously RIP. <laughs> Although it might still well, be up. I don't know. I think I think that they got bored and they became like a music sharing sort of service slash platform. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. But I guess the message there is that Facebook's just Facebook's a mainstay in the social media space and they want to become, you know, I was talking about sort of that, that operating system for your social life. And it's very clear that that's what they're doing and what they're, they're willing to lose money now um, to let's be honest, make more money later um, by dominating that market. Um, something interesting or something new to come out of Facebook as well is that they, they plan to shut down their Facebook Oh, sorry, their facial recognition systems, um, which I haven't uploaded photos to Facebook in a long time, but I do remember when they used to pick up and go, oh, looks like your friend Kelsey Allen yeah. in the, is in this photo. Do you want to tag her? Um, I just thought it was interesting that they are killing that altogether because yeah. I don't know. Is it just a, is this one a bit of a bait and switch because like, hey, we're cutting facial recognition. Maybe they don't need to do facial recognition anymore because yeah. they have so much information on every other facet of your life. I mean, what benefit does facial recognition give the user, for one, besides helping them tag photos easier? And what kind of information? I mean, I'm sure Facebook would get information from it, but as you said, they've got that much information. How much more does facial recognition add? It just seems like... I don't know, redundant feature seems wrong because I'm sure that there's a place for that because that was such a like groundbreaking kind of technology, I guess, when it first came out. Um, but it could also be that, uh, you know, they're trying to rebuild a bit of trust in users. So by saying we're cutting facial recognition, people go, oh, cool, they're respecting my privacy more, you know. I think facial recognition as well was a feature, to your point, that was more in your... Uh... <laughs> it, was like, it was more in your face right it was like 
here, look at us. It's sort of like when Google says, this is how much, you know, you traveled last week and sort of really goes, Hey, look at, look, look, we are tracking where you're going. And, Mm -hmm. um, here is, here it is just laid out in front of you. I think the facial recognition side of things was that is like, Hey, look at how much we know. Um, but by getting rid of it, that's why I think it's a bit of a bait and switch. It's sort of hiding how much Facebook really knows. Ultimately, all these organizations know more about us than any government ever could, um, mm-hmm. I would I would think. Um, and this is just them, you know, maybe appeasing the public like you're suggesting. Um, yeah. An interesting move nonetheless because, I mean, maybe there just wasn't enough financial value around it. Like what does knowing someone's face um, do for you when you know their hobbies, where they go, what they like, mm. what they want to buy, who they're friends it's with. Probably, yeah, it seems like the least valuable data point. Though that at one point it probably yeah. was the most valuable because that was probably the most they knew at, at one point. But yeah. it's a different story now. Um, yeah, exactly. Moving on uh, to Microsoft becoming the world's most valuable company, beating out Apple. It's always like a one-two like fight between them. Um, Mm -hmm. and what I like about, or what I, what I liked about this story and the fact that you put it in the notes was that they have such, they're such different organizations. Like Mm -hmm. Microsoft hasn't had, I, I would say Apple's done really, really well with, um, their, um, like tech products, the iPhone and so on and so forth. And they've done really well with that. But Microsoft hasn't had a product like that forever. Like they never really, I mean, they had Windows, but apart from that, they didn't have like, they failed in almost every other aspect, yet they're really sticking it to uh, Apple, like as -hmm. such a big company. And it's just a message around the fact that becoming you don't need to be necessarily at the top of everyone's mind and you don't necessarily need to be in the news all the time. If you can become a central, reliable nervous system to more people, you know, become the, become the pickaxe for the gold, gold miners, not, not the gold miners themselves, because guess what? You can supply every single gold miner, whether they find gold or not, you're going to do well. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if you want to go, mine for gold yeah sure you'll you'll probably hit it big if you find gold but what happens to the majority that don't find gold that's yeah the thing i think is interesting is if you sort of look back on microsoft and apple from the start microsoft and apple one point were competing in operating systems before we had sort of iphone ipad blah 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 and then apple took off with those extra products microsoft tried to compete and just couldn't quite compete as much in that space Um, and now they've got a new CEO I can't remember when she came in I think it's in the article Um, but their new approach is essentially to be boring as I mentioned previously Um, hold on and I think such an Adela maybe I don't think they've um, changed since such an Adela I thought no maybe I read that wrong well, when when Satya Nadella became CEO of Microsoft, um, when was it? Um, 2018. 
Okay, like fairly yeah, recently. So recent history, for sure. For yeah, sure. in terms um, of sort of CEOs coming in and coming up with a new strategy, that's quite recent because it does take that time to come in, find out what's going on, implement things. Um, and obviously the boring strategies paid off for them. They've just made products that are reliable and accessible in terms of, I mean, if you look at the surface, I think they've got various levels of surface that are really accessible at all kind of price points. Um, they've just got the Xbox doing its Xbox stuff, all the operating systems, things like that. They've just not tried to be fancy and crazy branded and all that sort of stuff they've just made or, or, or viral good. as well i would say mm. not not that they haven't tried to be i think if if they could have been like they tried with the zoom they tried with um what windows phone they tried they've tried um mm -hmm. but i think what they've done instead is become like they've got microsoft azure they've they've got 365 they've got sort of they compete with google and amazon in a way that apple just simply cannot and no one looks at apple as a enterprise solutions provider no i mean because they're just they they're to too be. focused on the products and that's that was great for them but i think at this point that's where they're going to sit sort of stagnant until they start innovating in other things and introducing products that don't have notches that break and things like that <laughs> well they, they've uh, to me apple's always put design ahead of um functions the wrong word but i don't know they've always seemed to prioritize design is what i would say um mm. where microsoft has just wanted to be that classic you know always always there just reliable as much as possible um saying that though it's in, like they've they've they purchased linkedin they've acquired a lot of other companies um and recently they acquired clipchamp which is a online video editor so to me, it's interesting that they're getting into those spaces because they're all a lot more consumer focused than business focused. Um, but, you know, as long as like for Apple, they really need a new iPhone. They really need a new MacBook to kick things up a notch to, or to keep at, at the very, or just to keep things going, like keep, keep that boat sort of sailing, sailing along where Microsoft has reliable ongoing income and they can acquire companies like LinkedIn and Clipchamp that are more consumer focused, but don't necessarily need them to succeed because there's, they've got that reliable income from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. It's just a, again, a message there for those of you who are listening to it's fantastic going from viral. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, um, it's something that everyone aspires to do, but you don't need to always go viral. Um, <laughs> jumping from that into a lot, lot, a lot of Google news. Um, <laughs> and this again, Google's just, Google does this every once in a while where they sort of release a bunch of changes um, and they love to just go back on what they've done in the past or get rid of products. They I can't think of anything that they've, any products that they've gotten rid of recently, but um, they are changing Google My Business. They, Google My Business is becoming Google Business Profiles. Google My Business has gone through like five different iterations. Do you remember Google Plus? Oh, yeah. Was that the network? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh. Google My Business used to be Google Plus Local or Google Plus Business. Um, 
they used to be like i think my places or google places and now they're mm -hmm. becoming google business profile it's essentially what they're doing is migrating those features into maps and google search um it has it's it's been a bit weird because to me it's not the the delineation hasn't been quite obvious because google my business sort of shows up on google maps and shows up on google search but doesn't really exist on its own i know you can do like posts through google my business but it's really just meant to help you manage your business profile which makes or your profile mm -hmm. um for an entity um whether that's business or or whatever else so it makes sense that they've shifted this way um but it's still unclear how like for us we've got you know a lot of clients um definitely in the double digits that we manage through Google My Business. I wonder how that will change. I wonder how that sort of um, representation of Google My Business, um, because they swap into profiles, do we then become like a profile manager and manage multiple profiles? Yet to see. Um, mm -hmm. on, on top of that, um, Google has done a few things around pages and how they look at pages. So they're launching a new version of PageSpeed Insights which historically Google's really popular for launching tools that are half baked and confusing at best. <laughs> like I mentioned a website that I purchased earlier on um, and I was looking at it through Google page insights and it was sort of giving me a bad score, but it wasn't really telling me how I can improve the score, for example, which is just poor experience. Cause they're like, yeah, you're getting 17 out of a possible score of a hundred. And these are some general term, general ways to sort of improve it, but there, it's not immediately obvious how much of an improvement those things would lead to. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping with this new version that they've shifted from a tool that most people, even we used to say, just ignore PageSpeed Insights, just use these other tools, third-party tools, because they were better. Um, they gave you more information, actionable information. So maybe Google sort of taken a, taken. A, a page out of sort of those different books and integrated that in. Um, and as an extension of that, they're talking about using page experience to rank desktop sites. Um, they've shifted to a mobile first experience um, or ranking system. Um, and to me, what that really means is that we're going to see less websites that are negative experiences. Like I've been on websites that every time you click a link, it pops up an ad before mm -hmm. you go to the next page. Like that's just frustrating, right? Yeah, it is. Um, so I think the page experience stuff, it was something they'd rolled out on mobile, I think around August maybe. So in November or this month, um, they're going to be pulling it out on desktop sites. So it is really going to take into account how quick your website is to load, how responsive it is, and that visual stability is what you mentioned when you go on a page and you go to click on something and then the page jumps and you've clicked on something else and it's just, oh, it kills me. But it's really good because that means that Google will start penalizing those sites. So you're going to have a much better viewing experience on both mobile and desktop soon because the sites that are showing up are going to be the ones that don't have those issues. So it's exciting. Um, also a good note, if you do have a website to make sure that you don't have those issues and try to minimize that. And it tends to happen when there's like, if you've got banner ads, let's say, at the top of your website that change sizing, stuff like that, make sure you fix those. 
or, or like things um, like big assets that take a little while to load. Like we've seen clients with sites where they have a big image in the header and the image doesn't load for another five seconds because it's five times the size of the whole website um, or the or the homepage. And face, uh, Google, sorry, is essentially saying you need to prioritize experience. So don't have big images and if you do use there's all sorts of different ways that we can we can sort of compress them and deliver them differently um some like the worst examples of websites kelsey i don't know if you've seen this before they load and then they blink as they swap the font to like the font that it's meant to be and mm -hmm. things like that when a slow website that swaps all the fonts so the whole page loads then they then it takes about two seconds to swap the fonts over and it resizes again. Just avoid all that where where you can. And if you're listening to this and you're not sure if your website has a bad experience, um, open it up in an incognito window. Open it up to using a different browser, um, and think about as well um, testing it with like an ad block, for example, enabled because all those things can. Uh, impact how how a user sees your website and when you're someone who's always working on your website always loading your website it might not seem slow because a lot of that information is cached but a new visitor is not gonna have been on your website inherently have seen your website before so um, try and see what they see try and see how they experience it because that's what Google's going to be looking at they don't care how it how it reacts to you or how it works for you, they care how it works for the majority of people. Um, mm -hmm. So they're just, they're just really going down that road of making, in my opinion, making the web a better place and incentivizing nice websites rather than websites that are designed to make money. Speaking of which, Google Ads has been leading people to like phishing scams, um, mm -hmm. PH. I S H I N G, not yeah. the, the the hobby <laughs> fishing. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what could could you imagine what a fishing scam like a like I don't know. Would you like pay for a weekend away at a fishing spot and then turn up and Maybe. see that it's it's not a fishing or it's a little it's a big tub. industry. I think you could get a lot of people to fall for that. <laughs> uh, so it's not that kind of scams, but I I wanted to bring this up because it's um silly at the very at the very least um getting approved on google ads getting ads approved can be really tough so i don't know how like we've we've certainly had legitimate clients with legitimate like sending them to product pages um sending visitors to product pages get get sort of um manually reviewed and us having to sort of struggle through that in the past and that's with you know ads accounts that manage multiple like and have been managing multiple accounts that have been doing in, in good standing, never had issues. So with that's with us having some sort of history. I don't know how these scam sites get through. Just, mm. I mean, I guess sense. they'd be good at what they do because they'd be scamming the people reviewing the ads as well. True. Mm. Fair point. <laughs> I, I guess it's, it's, you know, the, uh, the people behind Google are people. So maybe that that's what it is or maybe yeah. they have software doing some of these these reviews and um if you sort of work out ways um work out what they're looking for and show them what they want to see 
they're not people. They're not going to be able to tell when they're being manipulated. And the last one from the Google News is that they actually recommend placing videos on their own page for maximum impact. Now, this one's interesting because in the example that they've shown us, they've essentially gone title, video, and then text content underneath. It's relevant when we're talking about, like we were talking about the podcast pages um, and transcripts this morning. So in, in this instance, we would certainly be looking at restructuring the page layout so the videos from the podcast episodes are at the top with text underneath. Um, I can see why Google wants to promote that as well because chances are you're going to be hosting on YouTube um, and if you're driving people to a video and the video is at the top rather than lost in the middle, that's certainly a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense, but um, I think it's a bit slightly weird that Google sort of come out and given this sort of information out publicly because it's the kind of thing that we would have to sort of find by experimenting, um, but they've just come out and said it. So yeah, heads Helpful. up if you've, I, I think so, yeah. I don't know whether we have, we probably don't have a lot of articles with videos in the middle um, of the page, but if we do, we'd need to look at how we can restructure it. Um, a lot of review websites have videos down the middle, like towards, mm-hmm. like, you know, you'd be reading like a review on Sony's latest headphones and find the video review in the middle of a text article. So maybe incentive for them to put the video at the top so that like that sort of multimedia is presented first. Um, mm-hmm. And Maybe Google's also finding, in fact, I'd say almost certainly that um, video engagement's higher than text engagement, and this is just Google incentivizing that further. Yeah, I I would be keen to see the videos at the top because there's a lot of times I'll go to, I think even news articles, and the news sites will have ads, and there's like maybe two videos in the article. One of them is an ad and one of them is the actual video I want to watch, and I can never tell which it is. And I start watching one and I wait for the ads to finish. And it's just, it's a frustrating experience. Again, talking about experiences on websites and probably Google saying, if you put it at the top, people will know this is the video to watch, make it nice and easy and you'll benefit from it. So I'm looking forward to that change. And I think, oh, I'm right there with you. And those sites that um, you play a video, the ads show, and then you and then they become like an embedded picture-in-picture ad on the top right while you watch the video. And some, in the worst case, they compete because the audio from the ad yep. never stops. The worst. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> it's, it's fantastic for the people making money off those things, but mm-hmm. it's not good for, I would say, not good for literally anyone else because it leads yeah. me to hate the advertiser as well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's only good for the publisher because... You know, if if your advertising, if your video is distracting and annoying and playing over what I want to actually watch, I'm not going to have a good association with your brand. Just putting no, it out there. Absolutely. Um, and the last one, to me, this is not surprising, but quite big news, is that Yahoo is leaving mainland China as of November 1. So it's already happened. That is huge to me um microsoft last month announced that they're shutting down linkedin in china um and the what they're citing is really that the um they need to share too much data of their about their Mm. users 
with I was wondering the if that was the yeah because obviously China has a lot of its own internal social channels and things I wonder if like LinkedIn wasn't competing and then because of that didn't want to share information same sort of thing with Yahoo it makes sense it's a big it's a big market though they have 850 million internet users versus the US that has only 313 million so by mm. like that is I mean that this article saying that it's more than twice I would say it's almost three times the users really um yeah in China. so yeah but I mean if you were to stay in China and China's requesting information about users would that not be more of a risk to these companies to hand over that data because that would also include the data of international people surely to continue operating there and therefore it's more of a risk for those companies if it were to come out that all this information had been handed over to the government and then all the users in all the other countries go what do you mean you've given my information to china no and then they leave it's probably i mean yeah i guess that's why they would have done it a smarter move to leave than risk the other bit that's true um it's 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 true and you're not wrong but you're then leaving a huge market and i wonder what will happen here like is is china gonna have like china's already got you know i've seen references to like blah 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 the um google of china or blah 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 the whatsapp of china um there are lots of apps that aren't necessarily copycats in fact some some of these apps came before the mm -hmm. the western version of it um or inspired the western version of it but uh, yeah longer term like okay so are we allowing private companies to have all this information about us but not governments um it's it's a bigger question and i think for a long time a lot of companies have wanted to get into china and it's interesting to see sort of almost a shift in the other direction mm -hmm. could but, be political influence yeah. as well in the current oh, sort of climate landscape who knows yeah, yeah. Um, but definitely something that I wanted to mention um, because I think it's it's big. Like Yahoo, yeah. I don't think Yahoo's been doing well personally. I don't think like I haven't thought about Yahoo for a long time. They've they sort of got palmed around, had funny rebrands, and haven't been doing well. So for them to move leave a big market is a is a big move. But mm -hmm. um, I'd be interested to hear yeah what other other people think. Um, and I don't know many who operate, like I don't know personally many companies um, or individuals who operate within the Chinese space, but um, certainly interesting, um, especially given like the fact that China, like Huawei, for example, Huawei's Chinese, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. So like Huawei, for example, got banned, like isn't, we were just talking about this the other day as well. Like they're not really, they've lost their presence in the Western world when they used to dominate that. Like mm -hmm. at one point they partnered with Google to build a, like a Google phone. Yeah. Um, and I had that phone. It was awesome. Um, so it's definitely politically motivated, but I wonder, yeah, it's a big battle between government and who gets to have all this data and, and countries. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, a really interesting report um, from search engine journal which is a pretty interesting blog um and, and website if you are into seo or search engine optimization uh, if you have a website i or or a business i think you should sort of pay attention to this we'll include a link to um a report they generated recently um 
And just a few takeaways, probably nothing that's going to surprise you, Kelsey, but of all SEO activities, content marketing um, takes up, is the most likely to take up the major share of a digital marketing budget and a major share of attention, which I, I don't see you sort of gasping or looking surprised there at all. <laughs> content is king. That's what they always that's say. And um, no surprise there. Um, further sort of looking at the results, 33% of SEO pros still think that meta descriptions, titles, H1 tags, and other on-page elements are really important. So um, for, it's, it's a bit more technical, but if you're listening um, and you want to do your own SEO, I guess that's a bit of a message to go. Still look at on-page, um, on the on-page side of things. Um, further on from that, 38% of respondents, this is SEO professionals, um, reported that clients think their SEO is an essential part of marketing. I couldn't agree more. Um, talking about Google ads and all those sort of channels, you need to you need to keep focusing on something more like we do a lot of content writing and content publishing, Kelsey, and um, well, you know that because you manage a lot of it. <laughs> um, how much does it cost us apart from time? Like nothing. Nothing. And how long, how long do the effects last? Forever. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a very obvious thing, but it's nice to see um, that sort of confirmed with a report. Um, one of the interesting things though is that about 40% of respondents see the um, zero click results as a, as a great threat. So things like Google giving you the answer up the top as a huge threat. Um, so Google essentially cannibalizing their own, the, the industry that sort of helps them sort of continue to be strong, um, which makes sense. It's, it's this weird position to be in, right? Because you want to rank for things like like you want to be the answer and have the answer mm -hmm. or be this and it does link through as well to the website from that answer but, but if you get the answer straight mm. off the bat yeah i mean it's probably 50 50 i think in my experience when i've used those answers it tends to be like i've i've got part of the answer and then i'll go all right this website knows what it's talking about i'll get the rest of the answer i need by visiting it and it's, it probably just depends on how complicated the answer you're looking for is if it's literally just a one word answer. Yeah. You're not going to have click throughs. If it's a little more complicated, you're going to get click throughs. So a hundred percent. Um, but then, or are people going to see your response and go, eh, that was a bit more succinct. I'm just going to look into the other pages, like second or third result, because they might be more detailed because they might misunderstand that that response isn't the whole, isn't the entirety of the response. It's just what Google picked up. Um, mm -hmm. Another thing is that over a third of SEO professionals plan to focus on user experience over the next year, which I think is Good. very relevant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in line with what we talked about around what Google's trying to do. So I think all in all, it's, it's a very detailed report. It's 49 pages long. Um, oh. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, you do have to give in, like give, give uh, search engine journal. I think it, it is um, your like contact info, company size. It's, it's no doubt a, a lead gen for them. Um, I don't know what they do though, like with that information, what they're going to try and sell you. So mm. that's the disclaimer, but it is an interesting report. Um, talks get, gets into the insights, opportunities and threats. So if you're a business owner, if you're an SEO professional, if you're in marketing, I think this is something that you should read. Um, just as another data point to inform you, you 
uh, moving forward. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Um, that's it for this episode. Anything, anything that we've missed or forgotten? Uh, only thing we haven't mentioned is happy birthday to you, Jermaine. It's your birthday today. <laughs> so. Oh well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was like, "What do you?" There's, there's no more notes, and we'd uh, <laughs> thrown, I'd thrown in a few bonuses as well. So what's going on? I know. But, no. Yeah, no, thank just a little mention to say happy birthday, and everyone in the comments, <laughs> make sure to say happy birthday as well. Oh, that's too nice. Well, on that <laughs> note, let's <laughs> roll the roll the outro, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Go, cool. catch you guys next week. Bye.